It's Sunday, April 21st, and you're listening to the West Block Podcast. There is a deep frustration in this province. If other provinces want to benefit from masses transfers developed by the hard work and resources of Albertans, then they must be partners with us in developing those resources and getting them to international markets. Mark my words, we will get this pipeline built. Choose a government that stands up for people, that doesn't give handouts to SNC-Lavalin. Your carbon tax does nothing. You're actually better off. You can be for a carbon tax or you can be for jobs, but you can't be for both. Licensed law-abiding firearms owners shouldn't be in the crosshairs. Jason Kenney's historic victory in Alberta dramatically shifts the political landscape of the country, ramping up the pressure on Justin Trudeau in an election year. Half of the provinces are now controlled by Conservative premiers, and all of those Conservative premiers oppose the federal carbon tax. So, how is Ottawa going to deal with the provincial stonewall ahead? Joining me now from Montreal is Minister of Transport Mark Garneau. Welcome to the show, Minister. Nice to be with you, Mercedes, and happy Easter. Happy Easter to you, too. Looking out to Alberta, where, of course, they will be celebrating this long weekend as well, but uh, Jason Kenney celebrating his win in the election out there. What kind of challenge will a Premier-designate Jason Kenney pose to your government? Well, first of all, I'd like to congratulate uh, Premier-designate uh, Jason Kenney. And, uh, you know, the federal government has a responsibility to work with all of the provinces, and sometimes the governments change in those provinces. So we congratulate uh, the new government, the UCP, in, uh, in Alberta, and we will work with them. We want to get their oil and gas to markets. We want to obviously, at the same time, uh, be mindful of the environment. And uh, we're going to work as well as we can with uh, Premier uh, Kenny to uh, make uh, sure that we reach the same common objectives, job creation, economic security, those kinds of things. Now, both Jason Kenney and the Prime Minister have publicly attacked each other a number of times. It's no secret they're on very different ideological pages and paths. But some of the promises that Jason Kenney has made, like turning off the taps to B.C. for oil and gas or uh, having that referendum on equalization are pretty significant for federal implications. Do you believe that he can fulfill those kinds of promises? Well, I would say on equalization uh, that that is a federal jurisdiction, and, uh, and, and, and Premier Kenny will know this because the last time changes were made to equalization was under the Harper government, and, and he was a cabinet minister at that time. So I believe he knows that it is a federal jurisdiction. With respect to turning off the taps uh, to British Columbia, I've been listening to different uh, people uh, comment about that, including experts uh, and the industry. And uh, I, I'm j just offering my opinion that I think it may be counterproductive for uh, Alberta. I think it would harm them as much, if not more, than British Columbia if they did that. But that is something that, yes, I, I did hear Premier Kenny talk about. Looking across the Federation right now, you have Conservative premiers in a number of provinces, including Alberta and Ontario, two of the biggest emitters. You're trying to implement this federal carbon tax. You're saying uh, that you expect Alberta to be on board. Of course, one of the first objectives Jason Kenney has is to roll that back. Are you concerned about some of the tension that the carbon tax is creating in terms of the federal-provincial relationship with a number of provinces now? And do you think it's worth the potential political cost? Well, the nature of Canada is that uh, provinces have elections, sometimes change governments. The same thing happens federally. 
Uh, two years ago, uh, nine out of the ten provinces uh, were signing on to the pan-Canadian framework on climate change, uh, including Alberta. And Alberta, in fact, has shown great leadership in terms of its uh, climate plan. And I would say not only under uh, past Premier Notley, but also for the last 10 years, under Conservatives before that, we hope that they will continue to uh, have their own uh, climate plan. We realize that governments do change and sometimes they have different mandates. We believe most Canadians uh, realize that it's important to address the issue of uh, climate change and that that implies actually putting a price on pollution. But we'll see what happens uh, with, uh, with, uh, Premier, uh, with Premier Designate Kenny and uh, if he goes ahead with it. If he does pull out of that, then of course, as you know, uh, we will be implementing the backstop, which is what has been put in place in, in four of the provinces already. One of the big commitments your government has made to Alberta is, of course, to build the Trans Mountain Pipeline. On Thursday, your government announced there's going to be another delay until uh, June, three weeks beyond the initial deadline. Do you have any assurances that you're actually going to be able to make a decision at that point? So I think the fact that we have been involved in a very serious way with the TMX uh, pipeline should uh, provide reassurance uh, to Albertans. But of course, what we're doing right now is addressing two issues that were brought up by the Federal Court of Appeal last year, saying that we needed to do more consultation with over 100 First Nations uh, on the pathway. And secondly, we had to address the issue of uh, safety of marine shipping once the uh, oil from uh, the TMX would be loaded on board a ship in Vancouver and, and leave the harbour. We've been working very, very hard on both of those issues. We hope that we will come to a satisfactory resolution on it and that we will, uh, on the 18th of June, uh, be in a position to make a decision. We're certainly hopeful of that uh, and uh, we're, we're taking all the necessary measures to ensure that we are fully consulting and looking at all of these safety issues involved with marine uh, shipping. Now, your government was very confident before that you were going to make the last deadline. So what do you say to people who say this just keeps getting pushed back? Well, uh, we are working very hard on it. It was originally, as you say, on the 21st of May. Uh, we've been following this on a, on a daily basis and we felt that uh, we needed a little bit more time to complete the consultations with the First Nations. There are over 100 of them, and they all have views. Uh, many of them are in favor of it. Others want to discuss uh, how we can, uh, can accommodate them, and that takes a little bit of time. Even though we have many teams out there continuing on those consultations, it's something that we care deeply about. Uh, I would say it's, it's probably our number one priority of, as a government at the moment. I'm wondering if you could give us an update on the situation with the MAX 8 airplanes. Uh, any news on when they might or if they might come back into service in Canada? So the only thing I can tell you about the date when it will come back is when we are fully satisfied about three things. One is that the fix, which will be a software fix, uh, will address the issue that uh, unfortunately and tragically brought two airplanes down. Secondly, that any procedures that have to be developed in case there is a problem are fully tested. And thirdly, and this is very critical, that any pilots that will fly the MAX 8 will be fully familiar with those procedures and will have trained on those procedures because you have to react in a timely fashion. We believe that passengers expect that of us and Canada is going to make sure that's the case before they fly again. Minister Garneau, thank you very much for your time today. My pleasure, Mercedes.
NDP leader Jagmeet Singh did not campaign with fellow NDPer and former Alberta Premier Rachel Notley. She told reporters that he was not invited to Alberta because of their very different views on pipelines. Singh opposes Trans Mountain and late last week released part of his party's environment plan. With the NDP voted out of power in Alberta and the federal NDP struggling in the polls, what's ahead for the election this fall? Joining me now from Victoria is NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Mr. Singh, welcome to the program. Thanks, Mercedes. You released your environment plan on Thursday, and it talks about retrofitting buildings, in particular housing, every single building across Canada, potentially. How much money do you expect that plan will cost, and who will pay for it? Well, this plan is uh, really important in terms of where we're headed in the world. We see that climate change is a massive concern. We know we need to boldly respond to that threat of catastrophic climate change in 11 years. So we can't afford not to act. And our plan is going to do three things. It's going to spur economic development by having a long-term opportunity to create jobs in the area of making those retrofits happen in terms of construction jobs and energy audit jobs. Secondly, this is going to save money for families. It's going to save, on average, $900 per family per year and then finally this plan is going to boldly help us tackle climate change and fight climate change because uh, the emissions from homes and buildings are the third largest producer of greenhouse gas emissions so this is an important plan and it's something that we need to do but how much do you think that it's going to cost taxpayers to do that well, right now we want to talk about how much this can save families and how important it is for but, us but to isn't do that this. a viable question this is if, a part if the federal of our government's paying for this to develop develop opportunities for work uh, and then we'll, we'll release more of our details. This is just one part of our, our green energy plan, our, our plan to, to boldly announce a vision for how we can build a sustainable future. But as, as a part of that vision, don't you need to know how much it's going to cost? Well, absolutely. We're going to be able to talk about the, the details of our plan, and those details will be something we'll roll out closer to the campaign. I think it is a valid question that people are going to want to ask, but let's move on to the Alberta election. Uh, Rachel Notley lost. You did not publicly support her. You did not go out to Alberta. Do you wish you'd done more to help her campaign, or is this, in fact, helpful for the federal NDP because uh, her position on pipelines was a bit of a thorn in your side? Well, we need someone like Premier Notley as a premier. She is someone that's done a phenomenal job in terms of fighting for education, health care, workers' rights, uh, the situations for families, families that are struggling. She's shown what New Democrats do. They provide results. And I'm really proud of the work she's done. In terms of, of the campaign, it's a difficult loss. Uh, it's something that I, I don't think... Personally, as New Democratic leader federally, we don't benefit in any way from the loss. This is a sad day, uh, but we respect the results of the of the election, and um, I want to congratulate congratulate Premier Notley and her entire team on a on a hard fought campaign. You don't support Trans Mountain or the building of more pipelines. What do you say to workers in Alberta and in Newfoundland who've lost over 100,000 jobs and say that they're struggling to make ends meet and they want a pipeline built? Well, the reality is, is that those workers are not to blame because of commodity prices or global prices that continue to fluctuate. Those are the same workers that went through bus times and boom times in the past, and they deserve better than the instability that comes from a single commodity economy. And that's why I'm talking about a plan and I'm putting forward a plan that will create sustainable jobs for those workers. We need to create jobs that will be long lasting, that aren't subject to volatility and insecurity and precarity. We need to build good jobs that are long lasting. And that's why my plan and the, and the vision that I'm going to put forward is going to make sure we create those jobs and create those opportunities for good work.
one of the big things that any federal party has to do is nominate candidates. The last numbers I saw, you only had about 42 candidates nominated out of 338 ridings. That's around 12%. The party has been struggling to raise money, uh, and about a third of your MPs, including some of your most prominent and most experienced, are not seeking re-election. Do you think that there's a problem with your leadership style? I'm not concerned about uh, that. I'm really excited about the new candidates coming forward. The Liberal government's got a lot of questions to answer when two of their senior ministers resigned because they didn't trust or have faith in the decisions of their prime minister. That's a, a blow to the leadership of Mr. Trudeau. In, in my case, I've got strong candidates that are coming, continuing to work. We've got strong MPs that will continue to help with legacy of new candidates coming forward. And we've got a lot of excitement around the, the, the new folks that are going to represent ridings. Are you planning to run again in Burnaby, or are you looking at maybe going closer to your original riding in Ontario, like Brampton East? I've committed to, to run again in, in Burnaby South, and I'm really excited to represent the people. Uh, but I'm going to be running a strong campaign everywhere. Br Brampton is particularly important for me. It's a place where I've got lots of uh, deep ties, and we're going to have a strong campaign there with lots of excellent candidates. Uh, in the past, you had had some doubts about who you thought was responsible for the Air India bombing. You've since accepted the findings of the public commission, but you said you're still willing to appear at events where people who've had violent pasts are venerated. Do you think that that's appropriate for a party leader? Well, I've not said that at all. I mean, I condemn violence, and if there's any sort of uh, platform that there's someone who's speaking about uh, any sort of promotion of violence, that's uh, something that's not on for me. That's not something that I do. My entire life, I've been a, an advocate for, for laws. As a lawyer, I've been someone that supported using the legal tools to, to advance justice in people's lives, and I've been someone that's involved in the democratic process and used the democratic tools to advance justice and fairness in people's lives. So uh, my track record and what I've believe in is using the, the tools that we have to make people's lives better, finding ways to bring people together. And I'll always take an opportunity to speak uh, in, in places where I can provide my vision and, and what I believe is important, how we can come together, find the unity, find the similarities that we all share, and build a, a better society by coming together. But in the past, you have appeared at events where individuals with violent pasts were celebrated. So are you committing to going forward no longer attending uh, that's not, those that's kinds not of true, events? Uh, not at all. Uh, I've never done that. Uh, people uh, don't uh, share those beliefs. I don't believe in that at all. And it's something that I've been very consistent about. My entire career has all been, has been about uh, finding ways to come together. You've got a new book coming out on Tuesday called Love and Courage. What's that about? My personal story, uh, some of the struggles that I, that I faced growing up, and more than anything, it's a, it's a story that talks about where my, my love and courage came from, where, where my belief in the fact that we're all connected, that we're all united, where that came from. And, and a big part of the story is having the courage to love. Sometimes it's difficult to love when you've gone through difficult things, when you feel moments of, of shame and guilt, and when you feel moments of, of hurt, and when you feel people have hurt you, it's difficult to, to find the courage to love. And the story is about having that courage to be able to love. Mr. Singh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Mercedes. We're launching a new segment this week called Hill Hobbies. Between question period, constituents, and committee work, MPs don't have much time left for really anything else. But every so often, we're going to go out with some of these MPs of all political stripes to get to know them over one of their favorite pastimes. First up is Conservative MP Michael Barrett. He was elected to the Ontario riding of Leeds, Grenville, Thousand Islands, and Rideau Lakes just last December. His Hill hobby? skeet shooting. We joined him on a cold and blustery day.
When you're walking up to the range here, getting ready to shoot, what's going through your mind? You know, well, right now I'm kind of thinking about the weather conditions. You know, usually wind and Is not so much snow. snow. Yeah, I think it's snowing. <laughs> and there's a lot of orange out here, which I've never seen before. Are those dead clay pigeons? Those or? are the dead. Those are the clay pigeons that were hunted the last time people were here. So we're we're gonna hunt some fresh clay pigeons. Yeah, looking forward to it. Pull. So how much time do you find you have to get out here and do this now that you're an MP? Uh, not an awful lot. So last year with the nomination in the summer and uh, then into an election. I've been shooting since uh, since 2018 or 2017, sorry. So it's uh, not a ton of time, but I'm hoping after this election year that uh, we'll have a little more time for the hobby. So then once you, once you have it up in your shoulder and you're nice and comfortable with it, then, and you're prepared to take the shot, that's when you're gonna um, take the safety off and then you'll call it, you're ready, ready for them to pull. Okay, pull. Okay, put your safety back on. Pull. Nice. Okay, pull. Great. Zero for three. Michael, given a lot of global events, everything from the shooting on the Danforth to what happened in New Zealand, Canadians are raising questions about firearms. And there's also a lot of concern from the community of people who own firearms that there could be too much overreach and things could go too far. What do you think of the state of the rules and laws and regulations around firearms right now in Canada? Are they enough? In Canada, we have a robust system for uh, licensing, for uh, purchasing, for transporting. You know, everything is very carefully uh, laid out and background checks are completed and uh, firearms owners are run through police databases regularly. So there really is a robust set of rules and a lot of the situations that arise in Canada, um, you know, often come out of uh, guns that are smuggled into Canada or uh, sourced through organized crime and licensed law-abiding firearms owners shouldn't be in the crosshairs of the government's proposed legislation. And some people say it's just too easy to get a gun, especially something like a handgun. What do you say to those people? Uh, well, certainly not through legal channels. If you uh, want to legally uh, uh, acquire a handgun, um, you know, you have to take a course, you have to have a background check done. The RCMP has to approve of that. Uh, your, your firearm is then registered and you need permission to um, do everything from take it from the store to your house or take it from your house to a, uh, to a gunsmith or to the range. So it's all very, uh, very carefully regulated and, and scripted. Shall we go inside, get out of the rain and we can talk some more? Sounds great, let's go. What attracted you to trap and skeet shooting? It's a nice um, pairing with uh, my favorite outdoor activity and that's hunting. So deer hunting, duck hunting, those are great activities. And right now, um, neither of those are in season. And so it's a, a great opportunity to, you know, um, hone that hand-eye coordination. It's it's a lot of fun. And, uh, and, I, and I got interested in shooting um, when I was serving in the military. Tell us a little bit about your time in the military and the perspective that that brings to politics for you. So I served as a telecommunication lineman and was posted to CFB Edmonton. There's a lot that I think that members of parliament ought to know and need to know about the men and women who serve who serve our country. And it's so much more than just what you see on the news and just, you know, their actions overseas, but um, being ready, staying ready, and of course the domestic operations like Aiden uh, 
aid when there's any kind of natural disaster here in Canada. You came to politics through a somewhat unusual route and, and a tragic one in a way. Uh, Gord Brown, who was the MP for your riding, passed away suddenly and unexpectedly from a heart attack. You had been, I believe, his riding president. Uh, you ran and were selected as the Conservative candidate and replaced him in the by-election. What was it like to come into the role, both the excitement of being elected, I'd imagine, but also in those very difficult circumstances of the death of your friend? There's a lot of sadness that goes, you know, in, in, losing, uh, in losing him so suddenly. And there's a lot of expectations, I think, that, that you know, people had, uh, you know, when a, another Conservative was elected. And what I'm doing is um, placed side by side against what Gord was doing. And I, I've been presented with a great opportunity to kind of uh, match the stride of a seasoned parliamentarian who is doing a really great job. With that high expectation, um, I feel like it's given me the, the need and the opportunity to really um, to come to a Parliament with, uh, with my game you know, at, at a high level. You kind of got thrown into the Justice Committee uh, at a very intense and unusual time. SNC-Lavalin lands like a bomb in the middle of the Justice Committee. There you are as a newbie MP. What has that experience been like for you? You know, walking into committee and having the full of the national media there is, I'm told, not something that I, uh, I need to get used to. But it, uh, it's, you know, you, all of the different procedures and processes that a, that a committee goes, uh, goes through, having witnesses appear uh, and the like, um, you know, we saw it all. What went through your mind when you realized, I'm going to be on the front lines of the scandal? Uh, I realized that I needed to do my homework and make sure that uh, I, you know, brought my A game. Going into politics obviously has an impact on your family. Right. You have four young children under the age of five? Yeah, five and under. Yeah. Five and under. That's a lot. What has it been like to become an MP and how that affects family life and how much you're even just around and available? So I've got, uh, first things first, I have tremendous support from my wife, Amanda. You know, for my kids, they, they know that their dad's uh, busy and that he's working hard for them. And, uh, you know, and they're young. And so, you know, the time that I do put in with them, uh, it's I try to make sure that it's full value. Usually that happens between 5.30 and 6.30 in the morning right now. But, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly a lot. Thank you so much for bringing us out here today. It's been very educational. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been a blast. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for listening to the West Block podcast. And be sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm Mercedes Stevenson. We'll be right here again next week.